gotta, I gotta read this Dr. Hurt book or Dr. Cody Walker book. It's not. Do you think uh, he drinks his own Kool Aid sometimes? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's like oh, yeah. you guys haven't quite said that, but whenever you guys talk about Cody Walker, the sense that I get is the man likes to read Grant Morrison with a cup of his own Kool Aid. Yeah, yeah. His favorite drink is his own drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever's in the fridge at the time. Welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode 23, the final part of R.I.P. This is, of course, written by Grant Morrison, given that this is a podcast where we're reading issue by issue Grant Morrison's Batman Rung, as it is uh, given to us in the Batman omnibuses by DC Comics that are just brilliantly put together, and I hope that the third one comes out by the time we get to that spot. But uh, issue number six... 81, actually. I'm sorry, Batman 681. Uh, this came out in October of 2008, the omnibus tells us. Although there's been discrepancies between when Diamond says these issues came out and when the omnibus says it comes out. So um, I know, doing us dirty. Uh, I am always as Jeff. I'm Justin. I'm Roman. That fucking ruled. I'm Jeff. <laughs> I'm Justin. I'm Roman. Let's get to work. My favorite part is that Jeff and Roman are here, and you can tell by their intros. <laughs> um you guys we finished r.i.p mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. it was as amazing as i remembered r.i.p 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 we should try and i should you know when we have our decompression of the first third of the run you know episode here in the next couple of days i'll, I'll do some recon because i do remember there was like a large guessing game about what r.i.p stood for because grant had said it wasn't rest in peace right so people were guessing it was like robin in peril or rest in purgatory. Uh, so I, I forget, I think it had something to do with purgatory, but I'll have to remember. This issue, everyone, it starts with Batman. He's been done dirty by the black glove. What we learn is that he has been buried alive in a shallow grave in a straight jacket, and the black glove plans to wait about 30 minutes when he'll run out of oxygen and go brain dead, exhume the body, and he will be uh, a brain dead carcass of a human being. Joker shows up, says, I don't really know about all that, you kids. There's a big fight. Uh, we'll talk about that big old fight. Jezebel Jet. Thighs. Thighs. Running <laughs> mascara eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a huge fight between Batman and Dr. Hurt. Ultimately, a mysterious ending to Batman and Dr. Hurt and the issue. Jezebel Jet gets away. And then we get a cool six month later scene at the, at the final couple pages of this, which when I read this originally, I didn't remember that the whole RIP thing started with a six month in the future shot. Club of Heroes shows up, Joker makes some good Joker stuff happens in this. I didn't uh, realize the first time, but yeah, resolution to the whole thing. Those are the cliff notes of it, but I really want to pick it apart with my two best buddies, Roman and oh, Justin. Yeah. It's got like one of my favorite flashbacks dream sequence david lynch things in a batman book i've ever seen yeah um yeah the flashback to the 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 togel ritual right after togel when he's hanging out with the monk yeah yeah i really like something that like i had in my mind that i wanted to say is like i really like that this run 
I mean, I, I understand that some people have some like, and sometimes I do too, like skeptical of Batman and mysticism, but I do like that there is like a psychological um, component to Bruce's training or like a, an energy dynamic component to Bruce's training because a lot of the times we see Bruce em emphasized with like technology and brute force, but like if he knows every style of martial arts, like every martial art is usually pretty embedded in a religious or metaphysical worldview. Like they come from the idea of like energy dynamics mm -hmm, inside mm -hmm. the metaphysics of certain Asian cultures. So like it would make sense for Bruce as someone who wants to achieve kind of um, combat nirvana or like, you know, to be the optimum man that he would have certain techniques to regulate and he would have had a pretty good self-understanding of who he is. And we don't really see Batman engaging in techniques of self-mastery in comics. It's usually mm -hmm. he just builds a plan, uses detective, very like Western in, uh, detective deductive logic, or builds like kind of fantastical, magical high tech. Like he just kind of builds right. plot devices with, with technology. I think I that's, I'm sorry, I want you to finish it, but I have a, a, a pinger. Oh, yeah. I just think it's really cool to, like, center that, like, Bruce, in, a, in as realistic as he could ever be, would also probably be pretty interested in self-mastery, state regulation of his body, you know, biophysiology, meditation, all that kind of inner work that you need to do to fully be a functional kind of warrior or person, you know, a hyper person. I think that that's a really interesting point that I've never thought of, but I think you're really right is that Batman and elements of mastery within Batman stories, Batman stories generally take place after the mastery. Like right. we're kind of built into the origin of Batman as he globe trotted, learned all of these things, became the optimum man and then came back. And what that does is it precludes mastery in a certain sense. And it, we, right. it's like, we don't need to inc include those, aspects into stories but i think oftentimes they are some of the most interesting i recently read the black mirror mm -hmm. last week that's a good book in it there's a really great instance of dick grayson doing a thing that uh i think harkens directly back to this particular scene that's going to play out in this issue of r.i.p here oh. one thing are he dives into the water. He's like fighting the you know, a shark and he's a tank underwater. He's a bad, bad guys. And he has to get back to the surface. And he's like, it's like a seven minute swim. Even if I wasn't exhausted, how would I be able to hold my breath that long? I'd have to actually swim up. He's like, yeah, it would be hard to do unless I knew it was going to happen. And I had taken a bunch of like oxygen capsules to maximize the amount of oxygen in my blood so that I didn't have to breathe. So like, it's, it's like a very like, oh, Dick Grayson's good at being prepared also. Oh. But I think that such a huge statement in this Grant Morrison Batman run is that Batman's superhero is superpower is preparedness. Right. And, and in the Zuran R persona speaks incredibly heavily to that. But then what happens as he escapes this is there's, there's a statement about that more preparedness, but the issue opens up with several black horizontal panels and green lines intersecting them. And our friend Cody Walker says, oh, it's, it's a vertical page with six horizontal panels with a green line dividing each of them that is supposed to represent his heartbeat and the fact that it hasn't been going. And therefore like his heart, his heart has been, you know, cause he had died because of the poison. And I was like, oh, I didn't pick that up or interpret it that way at all. Do you think that is actually the intentional statement there? 
I mean, I could see that. I, for some that's reason, the, that's my response to Cody Walker all the time. I could see that. <laughs> and I yeah. feel like we have had the heart monitor green line show up before. In right. Right. When the first zero and R thing happened. So I'll, I'll give uh, that to you, Cody. Um, the grids were also the same green line. For some reason I was trying to have like kind of a grid interpretation, but came up with nothing. So I guess, I guess, you know, also, uh, lines divide panels. Exactly. Sometimes they're just lines to divide panels. All right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah, it could be also representing his heart line, but I, that didn't occur to me because I thought it was just the, cause when, when you turn the page, the interior of the coffin is, I mean, it's not actually lit because it would just be pitch black, but that'd be a boring couple pages. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so the interior of the coffin is, is green lit. You know, that's all I thought that was. <laughs> yeah. I love the reveal, though. You, you flip to pages two and three, and it is Batman in a straight jacket in a coffin. That's the double page spread of it. But there's even on the right side, a sort of horizontal panel of him laying down there. And I really like panels that are like this, that like the panel seems to represent the actual shape and size of the coffin. Mm-hmm. So it would even be cooler if the panel was extended a little bit and it showed dirt around the coffin and we were just seeing like a cutout of right. Bruce within the coffin. You know, we, we see him in the coffin and that's when we cut to the David Lynchian scene of, of Bruce talking to this person after the Togo ritual. Yeah. He wants to see... You know, even before, Yeah, yeah, please. The, um, even before then, I thought that, that inset panel you're talking about, uh, the side view of him in the coffin, even that I thought was kind of David Lynchian just with the lines and the one, the one color light and everything. Showing You're right. Show, showing the lines of the fabric and the lid, the lid of the coffin. That's a really, that's a nice observation. You're right. There's a very angular diagonal lines of David Lynch's Black Lodge from Twin Peaks. Yeah. Are yeah, really in, into that. It also struck the, oh, Yeah. Go ahead. It, I was going to say, I love that both of you guys brought up Twin Peaks David Lynch references <laughs> about this issue. It also struck me that uh, at some point before they threw him in this coffin, they took off his his zuran r costume and put him back in his regular batman costume that's a great point that's a great point he was wearing zuran r costume last yeah, time we saw I, him. I guess dr hurt was like no i want to i want to kill the batman not the zuran r backup batman <laughs> hey justin can you the the scene of batman talking to this monk after the togo ritual takes place in like two or three page chunks throughout the issue but i think maybe for the sake of conversation do you want to just go ahead and kind of wrap that whole, all of those pages up into a, a statement right now, like a, just a summary of what happens there and your yeah, read on that instead of going, you know, us two pages at a time for the next half hour. Yeah, so we have, yeah, it's just super cool. Bruce is talking to this monk, kind of uh, decompressing about the ritual, what it was there for. You know, it's very Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, like preparing to die before you die, which is the ultimate preparedness, you know. There's a quote from the I Ching, the superior man thinks of the evil that will come and guards against it. Like Batman is already preparing for death, you know, like he's preparing to defeat death in some way. And um, I think that's mirrored really cool because the monk reveals himself to not actually be the monk that Bruce thought he was. Uh, Heavy quotes in they're drinking tea together and it is revealed that the monk switched the cup or the, the cup of teas are are poisoned and that he's going to kill Bruce. Bruce pulls uh, a princess bride. Yeah. And swaps the cups when he blinked. And you can tell that Bruce is talking to him to like distract him. 
And it just goes to show that like what Bruce achieved in this kind of Fogo ritual that he, he is prepared for the unseen. You can't pull one over Bruce's eyes anymore. And he is always prepared for death. And so he just like he's primed for that. So he switched that in front of the monk without him knowing because Bruce has like achieved somewhat of a preparedness. Can you ever master death? Probably not. But he's achieved some awareness that, you know, death is always around the corner. Um, in in this conversation he has with him he talks about like why he was going to the togo ritual and he talks about this you know he, he had found something hidden inside of himself like the whole there was a whole my first read of this book years ago was very metaphorical in my interpretation of all of that like the whole zurinar what that was and it wasn't until like a handful of episodes ago, Justin, where you dialed in the what I think is just the best read of it, it and, the, and the read of, that Morrison was trying to put in it, which is that you provided a grounding for me is what I wanted to say, which is that Hurt created this hole. He created this blind spot within his brain, which is that if he sees this word, he's going to go into a post-hypnotic state. He's not going to be himself anymore. So this hole is actually deft. It is saying that there is memories that you've forgotten. And if something happens, you will cease to be sensing that hole sensing this absence he decided to do this ritual the togo ritual preparedness creating this zurinar you know persona getting close to death was the closest that batman could be to getting close to this hole this absence of self that dr hurt had created and in doing the togo ritual he created this zurinar persona because he was so close to death and he wasn't able to know it until he was so close to death i just hadn't really ever galvanized all those points as as a metaphor but also as an actual like linear statement of like what has happened and bruce foresaw it i definitely was confused about what the batman of zurinar was originally i thought like did he become that because the black glove took away his conscious self and this is what is left and that was what i thought is zurinar is what is left when you remove batman or bruce like that but in reality it's not just what is left it is it is a creation that he made in case this happens and i think that that subtle difference is a really key difference to make that i didn't realize until we were having these conversations and and that particular interaction he has with that monk really irons out that grant and bruce knew what was happening this whole time and had a plan the whole time even though he didn't know what was happening he just knew there was something wrong and so he sought out to fix it and you know i just i loved this reread for teaching me that right i think that like bruce being this ultimate rational being who plans for everything would eventually come to the conclusion that there will be one thing that he can never see there will always be something some blind spot that he has and what can that bl blind spot actually be at the end it will always be death it will always be the thing like the thing you can't see is the thing like there are things that live outside of rationality that yeah. you can't prepare for so the ultimate preparation is to face the most irrational things in the world death and build a hole inside yourself that is not something that prevents chaos but something that accepts it mm -hmm. you know so the zero you know he he descended into the batman of Zurenra as this ultimate like giving space for the irrationality you know it's like a mini joker within himself like this complete opposite chaotic being and that's the only way to really prepare it is because someone someday will know how to defeat batman Mm -hmm. They will they will beat him at his own game, which is preparedness and planning. But they won't expect a Batman to lean into the opposite of that, right. which is impulsive irrationality. 
And so Bruce in that way, he's kind of, you know, healing trauma as well as like meta preparing, like, okay, they're going to defeat my mind one day. What is something that they won't prepare is like, I won't be using my mind. Well, and I love that. Like he even knew it. He's like, they're going to defeat my mind one day, but they already have, because they right. have a blind spot. And I love that. Like it's a hole, it's a blind spot, even right. more salient expressed even more saliently by the fact that he is not able to see the graffiti of Zurinar painted on the buildings. Like he right. actually, his brain can't recognize that in the same way that when Jezebel Jett and he were in the cave and those words were on the screen, he didn't see it. And so this hole or this blind spot thing is, is just such a, yeah, I love it. I, I really am grateful for a, a different perspective on all of that. This read through Roman yeah, the, um, the, the, the little bit of that blind spot. I love the fact that there's one panel in this flashback to uh, Bruce's talking with with Master Lowe. Or no, not Master Lowe, um, with this other monk. Right. And they're talking about Master Lowe. And just there's this one tiny panel, panel kind of like that coffin panel, in between their speech, that's the red letters of some of the red letters of Zuran R, but it's backwards and it has no reason to be there other than the fact that it's a visual clue going, Oh, this is where Bruce first started, even maybe unconsciously coming up with this backup failsafe idea. It's right. And we haven't even touched on it. I've noticed in these podcasts, we get so into like kind of unpacking some of the, the possibility of overtone or metaphor that I will at times forget to state very blatant things like all of these flashbacks to this scene with the monk are in black, white, and red, mm. which is mirroring the color of Zurinar or the Joker in the black and red. You know, I don't even know exactly why this scene of this monk would be portrayed in black, white, and red. Does anybody have a theory as to why, why that would have been the useful coloring for this? I mean, besides the obvious color theme of black and red, uh, I don't know why the grayish white is is involved in here. <laughs> it, I think it absolutely is effective, though. Like it, yeah, it is so cool. And I think, and I may be mistaken, but let me let me reference my notes. Um, <laughs> let me get my spiral out. <laughs> yeah, black, white, and red is in that Joker flashback as well. Right. Um, and I think in Joe Chill in Hell there is some moments of that for me and this is my totally subjective thing i think and that that's all i care about i don't care uh, about what's real i just want to know what my buddies think um i think it in my personal kind of vernacular for the story or my register is that that denotes a completely subjective event something that's occurring inside and not outside like it's a mental psychic event um, okay and so the Joker in his dream vision was in black, white, and red. Mm -hmm. And this is in, you know, this whole scene is taking place, you know, either within the ritual or within Bruce's mind. And this is how he's explaining to himself what he was doing the ritual for. And so I read this in a way that was like, maybe this isn't actually even happening. This is like the culmination of that. So like that. Read. Other than that, it's just like such a dramatic, awesome, cool, right. effective. Yeah. There's a couple long shots of the, um, the monastery during their dialogue and and the windows are all lit bright red from within even on the even on the floor below where bruce and, and the monk are so there's no you know there's no literal reason for that right but it looks really cool there there is a scene here of robin is fighting the mime character and the you oh, know oh, the what's that can i, can I interrupt yeah yeah please quick? please there's something else that 
you know, I'm mainly going to say this for Django when he listens to this. Throughout this, and especially this issue, one of the things I'm I'm creating in my head, there's some like, to me, there's some subtle callbacks to the shadow. Oh, <laughs> because Shambhala. You know, the shadow's in Shambhala. You know, he did his some of his studying with the monks. Um, but the red color too always makes me think, especially here in the monster, makes me think of the shadows. Uh, his his girasol, the red ring that he would use to hypnotize people. Sure. So it's a bright red ruby. Okay. <laughs> the shadow was also various identities and right, and right, things. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth mentioning on this podcast. This is we're going to part the kimono. This is a safe space. This is an island outside of the kayfabe of our normal Perfectly Acceptable podcast. We like to joke all of the time that the shadow is based off of Batman and we make fun of Django for it. But I th- <laughs> we do know secretly that Batman is is a tributary idea from the shadow itself. As Tim Drake Robin, the best Robin, I'm, I'm glad that that wasn't met with objective, er, uh, objection. <laughs> you just parted my kimono, John. <laughs> <laughs> Love Tim Drake. But he's beating the shit out of or getting, you know, He's in a fight with the mime character and Swagman. And then the Club of Heroes shows up because he had sent out the call a couple issues ago. I really loved just that scene of them all showing up. And there's this through line of the Club of Heroes throughout all of this Morrison run that goes from the early stuff in Black Love to Batman Incorporated. And I really like it. It's not integral. It's just a great component of the whole run. I'm just excited Love to get... Love those characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh I'm just excited to get to the scene in this issue that I think is probably like my favorite Batman moment of all time. If I had Ooh. to, if I had to pick one off the top of my head, I think that this scene is the, the is the scene where it is Batman buried alive and written in journal entries on lined paper is the narration of basically how to exemplify his preparedness. He talks about getting out of straight how to how to get out of a straight jacket. Jacket. Well, that's kindergarten. Um, he, I can slow my breathing and metabolism to control panic and conserve air. I've escaped from every conceivable death trap ten times, a dozen times. Bench pressing a you know a pine coffin lid through six hundred pounds of loose soil that's filling my mouth uh that's harder but far from impossible it's and and on that page is as far from impossible and it's just this glory shot of batman so covered in soil bursting out of a grave showing that he is the ultimate prepared optimum man it's just i think the best batman moment it embodies all of the stuff that i love about batman although the snake eating its tail a lot of the stuff i love about batman as an adult is stuff that grant morrison taught me in this run so you know horrible and I and I, I just realized with you describing that scene, oh, and that's why that's the real reason why they had to put him back in his bat costume because this is Batman resurrected, metaphorically. Oh, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's died. He's been Zuran R. He's got close to death, the absence of self, and now he's completed the ritual and he's out as Batman now. Yeah, I think they also like they have this whole pomp of like they kind of act like they respect batman like they'll disparage his character and say he's a spoiled child but they also really want to defeat him quote unquote at his best and to truly beat him and so they're they have this whole pomp of like oh we're doing this for you and like look at us destroy this great human spirit so they wanted him in his you know in his sunday best when they kill him yeah um, and so but don't don't give that man tools because they'll be your downfall and Joker kind of says that you guys this this is you this is your fault you should have just killed him when you had a chance because this guy he don't die easy you have had a read on the Joker I, I you your holistic top-down view of this um, was more aware than mine upon my first reading of this but even as issues ago 
you alluded to the Joker's relationship with the Black Glove organization. And when, when Hurt refers to him as his servant, and you were like, and that's a big moment. The Joker comes up again in this run at some point. That reveal and, and that happening makes a lot of sense, <clears throat> given what happens in this issue and that previous statement that you pointed out. Something that was totally not on my radar at all the first time reading this. I didn't realize... to the extent with which Joker felt used and disrespected by the Black Glove and particularly Dr. Hurt in this issue and in this arc, and that he basically says, I'm going to seek revenge on all of you. Right. In this. And I just didn't remember that at all. And that is is a component later on in the run. I I like when you alluded to that several episodes ago when he refers to the Joker as the servant, because I was like, oh my God. And then in this, I was like, oh my God, like... There is shit that happens a year or two from now that plays back to this moment right here. And I had totally forgotten it. And it's just one of those moments where I kind of lose my breath at how interwoven and planned out the plot is. Right. And just like you don't tell a chaos spirit <laughs> that he is now in a master servant. Diet. You do not chain the uncontrollable chaos in the middle of the universe. Like that is the last thing you want to do the Joker. His whole thing is breaking down illusionary social orders in power dynamics like to the point where he'll kill anything to do it and you just told him that this this thing is subservient to you you do not do that like that is a carnal like universal law and you saw it on his face like joker was like no 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 yeah i know and and when he refers to him as his servant yeah exactly that single panel and the way that his face looked was just like spoke volumes and i don't know how grant would have conveyed that in the script i would love to see a script for that of just like make sure joker responds to this like he's just walked in on his wife cheating on him or something like something profound i really liked as he's talking to the black glove the whole group of them particularly Dr. Hurt, after Batman has been freed and he is saying like, I want to place my bets on what, you know, who's going to win good or evil. And they're like, no, you can't. He's like, oh, cause I'm not rich. Well, I've burned more money than you've ever had. And like power and fame, how many magazines have you seen me on? Uh, and, and he says like, I bet that Batman's going to win. But he also refers to apophenia, mm-hmm. which is, which is an abnormality in the brain where you, look around all of the information around you and you see patterns where there are none kind of like conspiracy theorists would be an instance of apophenia um or just paranoia like i have in my general life you know seeing things happen um and assuming there's something else going on and joker says apophenia i've been driven literally insane trying to get him to loosen up you know uh creating puzzles where there is none creating I really liked that part. I forgot what that word meant and what it was. And it is this delusion that both Batman and Joker suffer from by trying to be prepared, right? You're like trying to prepare for everything, even when there's not something there. Damn, that's good. Yep. And I love the devil is double is deuce, my doctor, and Joker trumps deuce. Like there, (laughs) there is evil outside the devil, my friend. There is something that you can't see. There is something even hurt the, the master of being unseen cannot see, which is you can't account for pure chaos. You cannot and, account for Joker. And to try and to be able to express that parallel in terms of how card structure works and gambling was perfect. It's like, we know this metaphor is true. You and I hurt and Joker. Also, it's even true within this metaphor of gambling and cards that you've been playing this whole time. It's well done, Grant and Joker. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Reading, reading this, this is my favorite Joker. I think this and Killing Joke, my favorite yeah. Joker portrayals. 
Yeah. There's this shot where Joker is speaking to the Black Glove Club, and he's like, it's a close-up on his insane face, and he's gesturing towards his head and how crazy he is. And the panels for that scene don't fit into each other. There's just something off. Like, everything's broken down in other panels and direct things, but he bleeds into the other panel. And that is such a apt visual metaphor that he's just like he joker exists outside rules even the rules of gambling even the conventions of this puzzle that they built joker is outside of it that single shot is one of the best joker shots of all time and he's got yeah. kind of a lazy eye yeah, yeah, those, two, those two panels up there and he's yeah. doing the crazy thing next to his temple and he's talking about being literally insane yeah. So insanity, but within sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. He says, I've been driven literally in period, sane, period. And yeah. I interpreted that as just the way that he was speaking. But you saying that, because in the panel before it, he says, every time I think I get it, every single time I try to think outside his toy box, he builds a new box around me. Literally in sanity wow like right. you, wow that's that's good and he's Roman. outside the box and in, in the boxes of the panel as well like and, yeah he's being put into a box constantly and then also those boundaries of the panels there are red which hasn't been done yet so to create the nine panel grid they create these you know red lines intersecting con- containing the the visual motif yeah it's a the, and progressive the use of comics it is yeah. it is and, at, and even at the beginning when cody walker was talking about the green line separating the panels wow well red and green joker colors oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um it's good it's like so action-packed and stuff but it's like deceptively innovative yeah, like it, yeah. it does really progressive like you said jeff and innovative things that you just like it, i guess it kind of gets brushed under the fact that it's like at the same time kind of a cheesy over-the-top superhero story i love jim lee yeah but he when you read a Jim Lee comic, you're like, it's big muscles, pouches, and fighting. Right. And this looks kind of like a Jim Lee comic, except there's all of this also stuff like what we just talked about going on. So yeah, you're right. It is like deceptively progressive and complex for a thing that kind of looks on the surface like a superhero comic. Right. It would never get an Eisner, but I think it's like (laughs) top level comic book. Yeah. Oh yeah. Should have got an Eisner. And this is all Tony Daniel artwork, right? It is. Mm -hmm. Because it just... Because like that Joker page with those nine panels, um, you turn the page and to me it looks like a different artist. No, that's wow. Hats off to Tony Daniel because he subtly—I don't know what he did. He subtly changed his style a little bit for the Joker pages, and they seem a little more detailed, maybe or something. Yeah, that following page actually, because it is the way that I interpreted that was just that it almost looks like now he's trying to reference Andy Kubert again. Um, that following oh. page of the cape living yeah. and the colors of it harken very much back to the original, the first several issues of the run, um, which is sort of like we've gone through this thing and now we'll return back to this the stylized thing that that Kubert had set up. How do you guys feel about like? I like the Jezebel Jet reveal, and it was revealed in the previous issue, but within this, Batman is sort of saying that he knew it all along. Yeah, mm. yeah, he is. Do you guys, do you like that? Does that make sense? I mean, is that, it it does feel like he didn't know it originally. Yeah, it certainly seemed like he didn't. (laughs) I felt like he was conflicted. Like Batman's brain is kind of broken to where he always suspects everybody all the time. And so he was kind of trying to let himself fool himself for the sake of being 
human, like Alfred said, like you have to let your guard down sometimes. That's how love gets in, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like you see in his journal that he's conflicted, like, yeah, I think she's might be within this grand conspiracy that I don't know is real or not. But even if she is, I need to learn to love somebody. Yeah. Uh, That was my read on it. I like, but then also he, he's kind of using this information that he did gather because that's just how Bruce Mines works to show them like you are outclassed. Your biggest heir is thinking you can beat me. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. are and outclassed. At, and at the very beginning, like in his journal entry here, at the very beginning, I don't think he knew. It wasn't until she said, I want you to know I understand. And I don't remember when that happened. That might've been when he first took her to the Batcave maybe. I think so. And she was, yeah. Unless it was the night that they had dinner and he told her that he was Batman. Was there oh, maybe a thing that was it? Maybe I, I don't remember the exact moment either, though. Yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't quite. And I just love his diary entry here. Basically, I want um, more of them. Was, was yeah, yeah, that that's when he realized he suspected. And I love the fact that he writes after a fraction of a second after I realized how heavily I'd fallen for her, um, almost instantly recognizing it was the bad I'd been attracted to all along. Right. So Batman likes a threatening bad girl. So we know Grant listens to the podcast. Um, <laughs> Grant. You know, I'm sorry for the stuff that we get it wrong. You're welcome for the stuff we obviously get right. Yes, we get you, but don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but I do, Justin just saying I could use more of that. Grant, since you're listening, if you could, your next comic series for DC after you wrap up Green Lantern should just be random Batman one-shots that take place of him writing journal entries into the Black Keys book and just exploring oh, non-continuity oh <laughs> just all over the place. Doesn't matter if it's in the early years or the later years of Batman, just Batman Black Casebook files written in that dramatic way that you know alfred loves that he you yeah. know, identified early on so grant that one's on us if Get you that. do that grant yeah. i can retire yeah, yeah. i yeah. don't even need a career i don't even have a career yet but i can pre-maturely <laughs> retire as a happy person life would be complete I'll just... what do you mean you don't have a career we run a comic shop i mean yeah but it's like, a lifestyle <laughs> it is a lifestyle but i don't like yeah i don't even need to meet goals if you do that grant yeah. you do that for me so i can retire a happy old man at 29 Man, that would that would be that would be the ultimate like DC black label book, the Batman Diaries by Grant yeah. Morrison. Yeah, I really like uh, when he says, "Get him on this podcast." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get Grant. We'll get Chris Burnham. The truth is, I knew I was under attack, but I could only guess how I could p- play it out. Trust preparation to see me through, and my and rely on my allies to keep up. I love that page division narrative that happens, which is like. <laughs> On some level, I think about that my, like myself all the time. I'm always worried about what's going on. I'm always stressing about what's happening out in the world. Is someone mad at me? Am I not? Like, whatever. And I love this Batman statement of just, I just got to trust in myself and trust that I've prepared enough. And if you, have, if you believe that you've prepared enough, that is the salve to overthinking everything, which is just like, yeah. I've just got to have faith in myself that I've done enough overthinking in my past that i can live this moment as a genuine moment and also trust that my friends can keep up and i interpret that as like that they know me and that they believe in me and they have faith in me and they will view me in a gentle and compassionate way but i i also love how much respect he shows dick and tim in this issue and dick shows up and he's like oh you know you're my buddy i always knew you would say there's some line in here of just like someone had to watch out for you you know like dick says and then tim is out there doing the same thing he's recruited the club of heroes and i love the moment that uh barrel says 
Um, you saved the city to Tim. The Club of Heroes can take it from here, Robin. You go get Batman sorted. I just love that. You go get Batman sorted. You know, like, yeah. get it. Get, he needs some sorting out. I just love Beryl's language. Yeah. For sure. And I just love, like, the, ultimately that even Batman, despite all of his preparedness, still needs to take a leap of faith and still needs to trust the universe and trust his allies and still has, like, you don't, no matter what your brain does, you can never prepare for what life has in store for you. And it is always a leap of faith. And even the Batman needs to do that. And I love that. I do too. You even just saying that, like, yeah, no amount of preparation will so like at, at some point you have to have faith in yourself that you are prepared enough. And that's, I think that's all like a universal life lesson of which there are many baked into this run. For sure. Yeah. This, this, uh, this one page just cracked me up because we see that apparently the Joker stole an ambulance at some point and is escaping the scene. And all of a sudden Alfred and Damien show up in the, in the red and black Batmobile introduced in this run. Um, and not the joke, the ambulance and the Joker in it apparently off a bridge <laughs> into the, into the Gotham Bay. And, and I think that's the last we see of the Joker. It is. <laughs> Like, whoa, that was an Damien... ambulance, Master yeah. Damien. <laughs> yeah, did Damien just supposedly kill the Joker, maybe? <laughs> I just love that. Just it's a little a... aside. <laughs> it, yeah. too, kind of sets up a, a dynamic leader in the future, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, as Bruce is fighting Dr. Hurt, I like that he, you know, at some point he says, I am your father, you know, in a, in a Star Wars-esque moment. But then also, and he says, like, and the Gotham Gazette now has all this information on how your parent, like, he says how your mother was a drug dealer and how your father was a drug dealer. And he goes from referring to himself as your father to then when Bruce says, I don't believe that, he says, you're not Thomas Wayne. He then, the following page says, your mother, your father, your faithful butler, Alfred, all will be revealed as drug addicts, perverts, and criminals, which is like, I'm your father. I don't believe that. Okay, cool. Well, I'm not your father, but I'm going to say this now. Like right. it, it, he dances between who he's trying to convince Bruce he is. Yeah, he's like uh, a bad actor. He forgets what he's playing a role. You know, the bad actor comparison is very apt because yeah, Bruce says he is an actor in this. Right. But I like as Bruce, you know, is trying to take down Doctor Hurt. Doctor Hurt is escaping in a helicopter that is driven by the third ghost of Batman, the the the, the Satan Batman, who's uh, just totally who fucked. Like he he will be that guy's servant for the rest of his yeah, living life. He made like, a deal with the devil, right? Yeah, right. I love that the black glove, Dr. Hurt says, the black glove always wins. And there's this horrifically cheesy shot of Bruce <laughs> punching through the glass and his black glove is coming for Dr. Hurt. And it's just this, like, I love when Grant goes totally on the nose. Yeah. That jump is super dramatic, like with the lightning bolt and Bruce with no mask and that butt and those thighs and he's oh, just yeah. like this long spear muscle jetting out towards... Uh, <laughs> And then, like, yeah, I just—it's such a like high octane. This is a fucking superhero story. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I love that um, as the helicopter crashes. So it is—we are left with an ambiguous ending. Bruce is with the helicopter with Doctor Hurt and the Satan Batman, and that all crashes into the Gotham Bay, and we don't know what happens. And the story ends with us not knowing what happens with that. But Talia shows up, and I just love that this is like the second or third time where Talia has just shown up, indicating clearly. I'm always watching Bruce. I'm the mother of his child. And, and like, it's please. Oh, she's like playing a role here. Like their dynamic is fucking weird, but in her own strange way, she loves Bruce and feels like she needs to participate in his life. Yeah. 
And it really establishes Talia as a character with motivations and conflicts and a real internal life that's uh, conflicting like all of ours is in a way that like most people treat her as Ra's al Ghul's daughter, kind of servant, ready right. person that sometimes gets to be with Batman. And that's pretty like sexist in some comics. And Grant like makes her a real character with a real life and own motivations and she's conflicted and doesn't make sense like all of us do. And I, I really love Grant Morrison's treatment of Talia, and no one has done that since or before. I totally agree. She's not a one-dimensional bad guy. She's not even like Ra's al Ghul who just wants to do a bad thing. She's constantly buoyed by this, like, I want, to, I want Batman and I to be together. He's supposed right. to be my husband. And yeah, I, I like that she shows up. Yeah, yeah. I love the, the fact that she's the one that goes after Jezebel Jett and takes... Oh. Like, takes down the 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 false deceptive lover because she sees herself as the real lover. <laughs> that no, scene I is love that. so good. Yeah, yeah. and I had totally Tally forgotten about to it. Fuck with. Yeah, and just like I might not get to be in a relationship with him, but nobody else gets to. <laughs> yeah, nobody like else no one else, and that is you know Jezebel's looking hot and her mascara is running and she's freaking out, and then all of the ninja man bats from issue two and three of this run show up. I interpreted the Dick Great Nightwing finding Batman's cowl in Gotham Bay. There's just this beautiful full-page shot of Nightwing. I have this variant issue. I love it so much. It's such a good image of him holding Batman's cowl in the bay as there's a fire. But I interpreted that as just like, there's a mystery. We don't know what happened with Batman. But I read it this time. I'm like, no. This is them saying Nightwing is going to put the cowl on now that Batman is gone. I don't know how I didn't pick that up the first time, but it's such a good silent over, you know, like cluing in of what is to come. Right. And I think as like a cover, it just fits for like, Oh, poor Nightwing is mourning. Yeah. Like it's also like, it it is that. And most fans won't know, but now that we know how the run plays out, like this is where Nightwing realizes like there always, there needs to be a Batman. There cannot be a hole where Batman isn't like Gotham city needs it. Right. And he's like step literally stepping up in this in the shot into the role you know yeah. fucking awesome there's even a i mean yeah, maybe it's but... just me but i feel like in 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 the background where the uh the fire from the helicopter exploding is there there's even like a rough you outline, could of, a say, bat. outline of, of a bat head yeah looking yeah. toward nightwing <laughs> yeah and yeah almost a wing there yeah it's uh a beautiful instance of foreshadowing and just like a singular piece of art and what an ending and what a weird way to like give you resolution, but at the same time, give you nothing. That's why I'm curious about people's read on this because it is such a, you know, if this was your first foray into the Morrison Batman run, like that's not resolution that we do end with. Yeah. We end with a six month later shot of a bloody newspaper that says beloved uh, Cardinal slain. We know that he was one of the members of the Black Glove, so we know somebody is out there hunting members of the Black Glove, which, you know... Yeah, we do. Yeah, and, you know, Joker says he's coming for him, so there's a, there's a good reason to believe that's Joker, but I like that uh, Lebosu, the, the henchman, you know, Joker maimed him to the point where now his face actually looks like the mask that he would put on, and he's torturing somebody, and then at six months later, a bat signal shines through the window, and he says that's impossible. So we know Batman does exist, even if Bruce has died. And I didn't pick up that scene at all. Like, I didn't Batman really understand. Robin will never die. Yeah. Which the implication is what this opened with. 
My favorite thing, though, and the one thing that Cody Walker did well, I liked, um, is the final page of this is a black, white, and gray Zurinard uh, memory epilogue of Bruce leaving Mascazora with his parents right before they die. And he says, you know, he's just sort of talking about how much he wishes that he was Zorro. And his dad says, Zorro means fox in Spanish, Bruce. Justin, fox. Um, I have a weird thing about Zorro, too. I was terrified him as a kid. Yeah. And... <laughs> And he's saying, like, imagine if Zorro came riding down the street right now on a horse. And his dad says, um, they probably some throw somebody like Zorro in Arkham. And he says, what? And he doesn't understand what his dad said. And then we see Joe Chill behind him about to kill him. And what Cody Walker says is that the phrase Zurin R is a child's misremembered last conversation with his far father. Zurin R is his misinterpreted... In Zorro oh. in Arkham. So Zurin oh. R is actually Zorro in Arkham. Like Zorro, the masked fighter in a place of madness and no organization. It's the Batman without Bruce. And it gives me goosebumps even just wow. saying now because well, like, that is so powerful. Damn. Yeah. I didn't get that Holy yet. Shit. And I was like, that was why I texted Drone. I was like, the Cody Walker one, <laughs> it's not amazing, but there's one point that he brings up that is very good. And it is that, you know, Bruce says, what, what is Zorro? And you know, he mishears Zorro and Arkham. And so as a child, his foggy memory, Zorin R is just his sort of faded pre-trauma memory of the last thing his dad said. Wow. Oh, good that's, stuff. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I love that. It's just like that, it being a phrase from an old comic is enough to have a justification for it right. to be the trigger. But the fact that he gave like a personal emotional pre-trauma pre-batman moment to that gives it so much extra saliency that is good work cody but real good work grant that is amazing and yeah and gives it saliency but also the metaphor of zorro in arkham like zorro the rational character in arkham the place of madness and that is right. what zurinar is like yeah that is and like grant, within his own box you know grant morrison was sitting stone on his couch one day he was like oh oh i gotta write this down where's my <laughs> yeah. journal this is good this is good uh what did it let's just like i'm i bet I, there's a lot of reason to believe that that you know it, this was a strain for people to read and to get through their first time especially without reading the run we did it you guys and that was just so such a wonderful reread man Man, I felt like rereading this was like going to those like uh, Berber ninjas in the desert and they expelled some negativity out of me. Like I, this is the exorcism I needed. Yeah. Um, it was a good, good expellation of, you know, over critical theory and just learning to love a comic in some way. And uh, it's But still right favorite. for critical theory. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. It just like it's I don't know you can forget something's your favorite and when you find it again and it's still your favorite, it's like a solidification that life makes sense. Hey, yeah. can I tell you guys something? Sure. Can I, can I be vulnerable? I mean, we I got guess. another email. Oh, <laughs> we got another email. Ooh, this one good. from the beautiful and luscious Andrew Carlson. Oh yeah. Written in. Oh, so if yeah. you want to write your own email or if you want to record an audio recording on your phone, voice memo, garage band, whatever, you can also send it to Batman in quarantine at gmail.com. Write I've an email. I've been fucking waiting for this. Yeah. Write an email, send it to us. You know, now that the podcast is live and we've got three weeks of it up, uh, we're starting to get feedback from people and that is awesome. Uh, Andrew. So, uh, I've had this one for a couple of days since it's been a minute since we recorded, but 
hello. So he ordered and got the first two omnibuses and now he's just tearing through. He's waiting to listen until he got those in and now he's just juggling them. Love it. Thank you, Andrew, for being beautiful. Uh, hello all. First off, absolutely loving the podcast thus far. It is absolutely perfect to be able to experience this run for the first time alongside such abundantly clear profundity. It's here. That was for Django. I don't know what it means. Anyways, I wanted to write in regarding how in almost all of the panels with the pop art issue, the pop art directly plays into the action on the scene. On pages 57, 62, 64, 65, and 66, this little addition of the art is so radical to me. Lastly, I wanted to note that I believe the issue, the title itself, Man Bats of London, is a reference to the Warren Zevon song, Werewolves of London. Keep up the amazing work, guys. So I don't. I think that that was a Roman and I episode, or maybe a Django and I episode early on before we had committed to the three of us being here all the time. It was you know one on one episodes. I remember or, doing that one. Yeah, talking about the dino, upside down dinosaur and everything. Yeah, or me alone, which Justin was the one who told us yeah. after the fact the upside down re- dinosaur is a reference to an artist. We haven't yeah. put that in there yet. So, r- Justin, who is that artist? That is Damien Hurst. Um, Damien Hurst. Your Damien Hirsch. Damien. One of the two, the, that name yeah. I, I've heard. Yeah, he was, he is a famous artist who's very controversial. He has the title for the piece. I forget what it's called. It's like a really long, strange, poetic title. Um, but he has a shark, a great white shark in formaldehyde. He's put a lot of animals suspended in her formaldehyde. They're real animals. Um, he's pretty sketchy about how he gets them. And often, I think two times, he, they have been on the endangered species list um, and his painting or his installations go for the highest piece of art in like art history. Jesus. Um, he's really loved by the rich, but he does really controversial things. Sometimes he just has, there's this one piece where there's like a fly zapper and a, pe- a dead cow and there's this system that gets the flies to go up and get zapped and it's supposed to be life and death. Just these really morbid things, but the rich love him. And he was really controversial in a lot of, like, environmentalists. I studied this in an environmental science class, like, hated him because, you know, it's this, like... Reprehensible thing. Reprehensible thing, and it's art, and it's like, well, how come... If art is, like, we can loosely define it as what human culture chooses to preserve, and this is what we're preserving and not our natural forests, like, there's something deeply wrong with our culture... And he was really big during this time. So I think Grant put that in there to be kind of like a heh 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 because in the early 2000s, that's when people, environmentalists, were really writing up against him. And he was a huge socialite in London and stuff. And uh, fuck that guy. Um, Andrew also added, P.S. Again, we've recorded 20 of these episodes since this reference. So I don't remember this, but he says, I did not realize that what I truly needed was the three of you discussing Bruce and Talia's sexual proclivities what great work, guys. So I guess at some point we discussed their sexual proclivities. I believe it. We've been here talking for a while. And then he also says, on the episode where I recorded alone, it was the final issue of the first arc, and it had something to do with Gibraltar. There was a, there was a, a group of people at Gibraltar. I had no idea what it meant, if it was a person or a place. And he says, postscript for Jeff, Gibraltar mainly just look at it on a map it's just an internationally strategic location because it controls the exit port of the mediterranean into the atlantic i don't think it's particularly important to know anything else about it or why talia wants it maybe some other listeners know so if you're listening and you have caught one of the many things that we've missed please just write in i my immediate thought and i sent a response to andrew was just like don't you don't second guess that at all 
we need more eyes on these books. The three of us can't catch everything. So um, please, uh, we want to hear everyone and everything. You can do that at batmanincquarantine.com. Is there that whole thing about Rock of Gibraltar? Maybe. Yeah, which, which is it? That's the, that's, okay. that, that's yeah. the, the rock out there at that point. Okay, so that, and that's the place that they're referring to. Yeah, that was a Jeff yeah. Solo episode, and I wish I had anyone else with me at that point. Um, I have since abandoned doing Jeff Alone episodes because they are too stressful. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to talk to you guys tomorrow about the finals, sort of our summative thoughts on this whole run and what's going on and, and wrap up the first third of this because we're just about 25 25- we're about a third way through this whole thing, guys. That's crazy. I know. Um, we've really blown through this, and it, there's, like, such phase changes. And so it's just uh, – I'm, like, sad and excited. Like, it's going to go into a bold new world, and, it, you know, maybe this middle piece is my favorite piece, as middle pieces often are. Um, middle piece, one. like this part we just finished or the one we're going into? The one we're going into. Okay, because like, I was going to gonna... say the same thing. I, I think it might be my favorite piece. For sure. Um, but this – first part because i love the middle part so much that i kind of forget about how much i love this first part it's uh it's that beautiful tension of you know uh staying with and letting go at the same time like i i love how great this this run is and there's new things on the horizon but it's really this is like a really powerful part of this run this first act is is fucking amazing yeah we finished the first act roman summative thoughts Oh my God, this is so <laughs> brilliant. I, I'm really getting, I mean, this is the, I liked it, I liked it originally when I read it as issues, but I sure didn't understand it as much as, as these discussions are helping me to understand it. I'm with you. I also did just break my desk. Um, so I'm not sure oh, no. what I'm going to do for my following uh, way to record, but I are, probably are, are you, you should sure? record it on a coffin. Just like go get a oh, yeah, yeah, right. Are you sure you broke it, or did Doctor Hurt make you break it? That's good. Actually, no. Sam broke it yesterday or the day before, <laughs> reorganizing the room. Um, very Holy grateful crap. she did. But she Sam is Doctor Hurt. <laughs> oh man, get out! Get out oh, now, God! Jen. I gotta get out now. She's Jezebel. Jezebel Konechka. Um, all right, everybody. Well, for Batman in quarantine, on behalf of Roman and Justin, I am Jeff. The three stalwarts, uh, on behalf of all three of us, thank you for listening, and we will see you all next time for episode 24. Thank you for joining me, boys. <laughs> Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, this was a blast.